Thanks for joining us. This is the Oklahoma Youth Podcast, and we hope that you'll be blessed by today's episode. Be sure to subscribe to our channel, share this episode with your friends, and leave a five-star rating and review. For more information on our ministries and events, visit oklahomayouth.org. And now, let's enjoy today's episode together. team tonight. Can we give them a big hand clap for leading us into the presence of the Lord? If you are married and you met your spouse at a church event, whether it be church or youth camp or youth convention or something of that nature, would you just quickly stand if you met your spouse at Now, for all of you that are not standing, we're doing this to let you know that the next 24 to 36 hours is very pivotal in your future. You you have a vast opportunity here to meet someone that might become your spouse, your husband, your bride, And no better place to do that, right? When I was a young man, I went to youth camp in Louisiana. And um, this was way back. I'm way too old to be preaching youth events. Of everything that Brother Hart said, next May, they can add this to my list. I'm going to be a grandpa. And I'm ready for that. I'm ready for that. So I'm way too old to be preaching these events. But... A long, 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 long time ago, I went to youth camp in Louisiana, and I met a girl, and I fell in love. And you know, when you fall in love at youth camp, you got to do it fast. Because you don't have a lot of time. You know, you've got to, you got to, you got to Monday, you got to scout it out. Tuesday, you got to narrow it down. Tuesday night, you got to go in. Wednesday, you got to start the courting. You got to start buying food. You got to start doing all that because Friday's coming. And if everything goes good, you can get a phone number. Not a cell number, a home phone number that her dad is probably going to answer. You have no idea what it was like back in that day. And so. Uh, There was two girls standing by this thing called a phone booth. See, you don't even know what that is. Uh, And my friend said, this is how scientific our dating process was. He said, hey, you take the one on the left, I'll take the one on the right. Done. This is a true story. So I go up and introduce myself, and my name's Jimmy. She said, my name's Heather, and... So we began to talk. Now, this was back in the day at our youth camps. They would give us badges. All right. Well, if you got to the point in that week, in that relationship, and you you exchange badges, oh, that's like a wedding band. I mean, you are there. And so, so I'm, we started talking, and it was going good 
was falling in love. And uh, I decided that, like on Wednesday night after church, I was going to, I have no idea where their story's going, so I just hope it ends up somewhere, uh, that I was going to, uh, that I was going to buy her a hamburger. And because, uh, you know, I, I still think guys ought to buy their girlfriends food. Amen. If, look, if you're too cheap, let me help you ladies out right here. If he's too cheap to buy you a hamburger right now, you think he's going to pay your car note in a few years? Hey, Ooh, let that anointing settle in this house. So I bought her a hamburger. And uh, we next day we sat by each other. She gave me her badge. It said, it said, Melissa. What did I say earlier? Did I say, that's, that's a different girl. Sorry. I got it messed up. I don't know where that came from. Okay. Uh, it was Melissa. Let's go with Melissa. Okay. We're going to go with Melissa. Everybody say Melissa. Yeah. So we're going to go with Melissa. So I had her badge. It said, Melissa. She had my badge. It said, we'll go with Jimmy. We'll go with Jimmy. And uh, so she had Jimmy. And so now Thursday night came and I bought her another hamburger. And Friday rolled around. I bought her another hamburger. And so Friday night, I was going to walk her to the bridge on the Louisiana campground. That's as far as the guys could go. They had to stop at the bridge. But I was thinking, and I'm sorry to be so honest and transparent, but I was thinking, you know, she's got my badge, and I have her badge, and we're basically engaged. And, and I have bought several hamburgers into this relationship. And I was thinking maybe... Maybe if the stars aligned right and if the preacher didn't preach too long and if I prayed real hard in the altar, that maybe that night I could get a little goodbye kiss. So as we started walking to the bridge, our hands kind of accidentally touched each other. I'm lying, I'm dying. I'm telling you, God can strike me dead if I'm lying to you right now. And uh, we're walking. I can see the bridge. She's got my badge. I've bought some hamburgers. I'm invested in this relationship. And I thought the stars have aligned. The preacher didn't preach long. I prayed hard. Her hands are kind of touching, got these tingly feelings, and out of the clear blue, she said something about her Uncle Butchie, now that doesn't mean anything to you, but my ears perked up, because I too have an Uncle Butchie. stars have aligned and she has my badge and I have bought hamburgers and the bridge is nigh unto thee and our fingers are touching and I just thought now would be a good time to say is Butchie his real name she said, no, his real name is Mitchell. We just call him Butchie. Man. My 
my uncle Butchie, his real name is Mitchell. And now we're at the bridge. The preacher didn't preach long. I prayed hard in the altar. She had my badge. I spent money on this relationship. And now I have a decision to make. you have your Bibles, I want you to turn. (laughs) Let's stand for the reading of the word. Isaiah chapter number five is where we will go for tonight. Yes, Lord. (laughs) If the Lord will, I will finish that true story tomorrow night, if he wills. It is great to be back in Oklahoma, boomer, sooner, huh? I'm a Nebraska Cornhusker fan. Wow, it's been a been a been a bad been a bad ride. To Brother Borders and Brother Hart, and Brother Welch, and the youth committee, thank you for having an old man here. I appreciate that. And then to the district board, Brother Martin and Brother Hughes, thank you so very much for allowing me to be here. Isaiah chapter 5 is where we will read tonight. I saw Danielle and Dylan here. Danielle's out of our church in Gainesville. I had the privilege of marrying them, and now they've got a beautiful family. And Honored to see them tonight. Have Brother Devin Treadway with me. He's a single young man, young preacher. He's got a booth out back. Uh, He too is looking for phone numbers and he's got a badge that he's willing to share. And uh, he came with me this week and I appreciate that. And uh, was there anything else you wanted me to say? Is that it? You can text me if there's more. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. If there is ever a passage of Scripture that sums up where your generation is at, it has to be Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. It was written thousands of years ago, but it should have been penned this morning. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Everything is is opposite. Good is bad and bad is good and dark is considered light and well light, well that's darkness and sweet is bitter and bitter is sweet. Woe unto them, verse 21 says, that are wise in their own eyes, as prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength, strength to mingle strong drink which justify the wicked for reward. Now listen to this. And takes away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Verse 23 describes the ultimate desire of the enemy of your soul. He wants to take away our righteousness. Now verse 20 and verse 21 and verse 22 describes different vehicles or different avenues in which the enemy would would use or employ to make sure verse 23 is fulfilled. 
So verse 22 t- tells us that drinking will take away the righteousness of the righteous. Young people, you shouldn't be drinking. Verse 21 tells us that pride will strip away our righteousness. We should not be full of, we shouldn't even have a proud look. We should humble ourselves in the presence of the Lord and the church said amen. But I'm not here to preach on alcohol and I'm not here to preach on pride. Those are good sermons for another day. But I am going to focus on verse 20 where it talks about that in our day there would be a redefining of some things and that we would redefine what's right and what's wrong, what's male, what's female, what's accepted, what's not accepted. He said all of that redefining is designed for one thing, Take away your righteousness. So I'm going to challenge you tonight, preach to you on this thought, the danger of redefining. The danger of redefining. If you're going to help me preach, shout amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The word define means to make distinct, clear, detailed, To distinguish. There have always been defining moments in lives. Moments that propel people to greatness. Or moments that plunder people to failure. December the 7th, 1941 started out as an ordinary day. But once the attack on Pearl Harbor and the islands of Hawaii... Once that began to occur, it became a defining moment for our country. June the 6th, 1944 was destined for definition when the largest invasion in human history took place known as D-Day during World War II. And then fast forward to my generation's immediate memory and and the attack on the Twin Towers and on the Pentagon on September the 11th, 2001. I can remember, and if you're old enough, you would remember exactly where you were. That would, without doubt, be classified as a defining moment in our nation's history. And yet, every one of you in this room right now will look back over the last few years, and especially 2020, and with the pandemic and the shutdowns and things of that nature in your personal world. Defining moments. Now hear me when I tell you tonight that life, life would be boring without some moments of definition and distinction. But if you're only living for God for moments, you're going to be miserable. If you can only shout at a moment at youth convention, if you can only make fresh consecration at once a year, at the end of the year at youth convention, when that moment appears, you're going to be of all men most miserable because moments, they don't happen every day. You got to make up your mind. You're going to live for God on the ordinary days and on the extraordinary days. But you take an event like youth convention and it, it becomes a, a defining moment. And, and, and so you remember that sermon, that camp, that preacher where you, you, 
you, you got that call to preach or for you that stood up and said, I met my spouse. You remember that event that you met and you knew, oh, that's going to be the person that I'm going to make. You need those moments because when the days are ordinary, you can look back and remember and it will keep you going forward when you feel like quitting and throwing in the towel. Somebody shout defining moments. And I believe with all my heart that something can happen tonight in this service. Something can happen tomorrow, tomorrow night, that could be classified as a defining moment in your life. You don't have to leave youth convention the same way you came. You don't have to leave carrying the same burdens and the same problems. And, and I know you look pretty tonight, but you don't have to leave hiding the same addictions that you came in here battling. Somebody could have a defining moment in the Holy Ghost. And it could change your life. I don't care what the devil's trying to convince you of. You are not an accident. You are not a mistake. God knew you before you were even born. And if you could have the revelation of who you are, you could walk out of here with a defining moment. I can be a soul winner. I can start that P7 club. I can be called to preach. I can start that church. I can teach that Sunday school class. I wish somebody clapped their hands right now and shout yes. You need to realize God wants to give you a moment tonight that changes your life. I can remember the camp that Brother Rex Johnson was preaching in, and I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that, that he was speaking to me and that God was, was calling and was, was, was making sure I understood that I was called. I can remember that. I don't remember anything else about that camp, but I remember that moment. And so when I get to the place where the devil starts whispering, sweet, nothing's in my ear, I can go back to the moment. And I can go, no, that was a defining moment. You can't help but open your Bible and read scriptures and realize that there are many defining moments in scripture that can never be redefined and should never be redefined. Calvary was a distinct and detailed time in history that will never be repeated. The burial was another moment of distinction. And three days later became another defining moment when the grave could not hold him and death could not contain him. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that these three moments, these three distinct defining moments, the death burial and the resurrection is also known as the gospel so I stand before you tonight to remind every young person that the gospel is without doubt the most defined detailed and distinguishing moment that has ever occurred in the history of the world and we cannot get here right now and start trying to redefine the most defining moment in the history of the world and it gets me excited. <laughs> it gets me just happy to know that I don't care if you go to a small church or a large church. It matters not if nobody in your family comes to church and the church van picks you up. None of that is important. When you walk into the house of God, it doesn't matter if you're black, white, red, or yellow. It doesn't matter if your mom and daddy's got it together or if your family is split, divorced, a thousand. It does not matter. Anybody can walk to an altar and repent of their sins and get baptized.
baptized in Jesus' name, and God can fill whosoever will with the Holy. You can have a defining moment tonight. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you can get the Holy Ghost tonight. Somebody shout amen. And let me, let me help. Let me help somebody right now. Young people, quit, quit Pentecostal profiling people. What I mean by that is quit going to school, quit walking on that college campus and thinking they would never be Pentecostal. They would never want what I have. That we need to quit thinking like that. Jesus said, whosoever. Paul said, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord. I like the way Peter said it. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all. I looked up the word all in the Greek. You know what it means? All unto uh, all. It's for you. It's for your children. It's for whosoever will. It's to all them that are afar off. I am thankful that Acts 2.38 is still the only plan of salvation. And God forbid that we start trying to redefine this. If you've repented and you've been baptized in Jesus' name and you've got the Holy Ghost, would you clap your hands and identify yourself and just thank God for the gospel? Thank God for the death, the burial, and the resurrection, repentance, and baptism, and the receiving of the Holy Ghost. Can we take 30 seconds and just thank God for that defining moment? church said amen. amen defining moments Pentecost is more than a religion Pentecost is more than rhetoric Pentecost is more than just a recycled experience from a place you've heard of called Azusa Street Pentecost is God's attempt to save mankind one last time before the rapture of the church Pentecost is not about what we are in. Pentecost is about what's in us. No wonder Paul said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Pentecost is still more than just speaking in tongues and goosebumps and emotions. Pentecost is about conversion and change. Pentecost is about pardoning the past and perfecting the present and preserving the future. And the devil would love for this 21st century apostolic church to redefine our mission, to redefine our mandate, and most of all, to redefine our message. But there are just some things that that cannot be redefined. And we're not going to redefine this to shaking a preacher's hand or signing a roll sheet or dilute it down to just rubbing a few beads or repeating a few sinner prayers. The devil is a lie. There's still power in the name of Jesus. And there's an army that's raising up in the apostolic church that's ready to go into the highways and byways.
Because if we redefine who we are now, it's just a matter of time before our righteousness starts falling away. Now, I, I, let me just footnote this. I do not believe the sky is falling. I do not believe everybody's going one way. I don't believe that. I, I, the church is going to come out on top. We're having great revival. This is the best season to be alive. But we're also going to have greater revival. So I'm not here doom and glooming it tonight. In the end, we win. But with all that being said, I'm still stirred for this generation. Because if there's ever been a time we need to draw some lines and get a backbone and have the courage to do what's right and to fight the good fight of faith and to earnestly contend for the faith that was once... The, if there's ever been a time that everybody at your school needs to know exactly who you are and if there's ever been a time that we need to make sure that people know it is now. I want to preach to every young person at this youth convention and tell you it's time to quit blending in. It's time to quit conforming to. It's time to quit straddling the fence. It's time to make up your mind. You're going to serve the Lord with all of your heart. The Bible says all of your strength. We cannot redefine who we are. The Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. <laughs> Nudge your neighbor and say, let's help the old preacher out. This is where the rubber is going to meet the road. Our scripture text says, woe to them. Woe to them that call evil good. And good, evil. Everybody say, whoa. whoa. The Bible says, whoa. It does not say, wow. And I'm afraid we're wowing what God is wowing. Because in our modern times, I haven't met a sinner in years. We have found a way to redefine things. People don't sin anymore. They just make mistakes. Fornication, adultery, lying. Listen to me. Those are not mistakes. Those are sins. Asking a lady when her baby is due only for her to tell you that she's not pregnant, that's a mistake. That can lead to sin. But there is a big difference. And so your generation is being bombarded right now. It's as if the dictionary is being rewritten in front of our eyes. They just changed the definition of man and woman in the dictionary. We will always come up with the wrong definition when we define the Word of God by a person's experience 
rather than a person's experience by the word of God. So we don't really call it homosexuality anymore because that just sounds horrible. So we'll call it alternate lifestyle. Alcoholism, well, that's just a disease. Euthanasia, well, that's not murder. That's an act of love. Abortion, that's a woman's right. We even had to change what we started. It was global warming, but it was 20 degrees in Florida last week. And so now that's been changed to just climate change. Lust is now called love. Because it doesn't sound near as perverted to tell that girl you love her when really you lust her. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, baby, when I just look into your eyes, I just lust, lust, lust. <laughs> no, you don't, you can't say that. I just love, 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 love. You don't even know what love is. Pornography is not bad anymore. That's just art. And it's so easily accessible just scrolling through social media that you don't even really feel like you're looking for it. You just see it. Cursing and obscenity, well, that's just emphatic speech. Lying is just speaking faith. i just let that be. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln once asked a group, if you call a sheep's tail a leg, how many legs would he have? They promptly answered five. Lincoln responded, wrong. Calling a tail a leg doesn't make it one. Just because somebody's redefining what is right doesn't mean their definition is right. Just because some politicians have gotten together and said that marriage can be between a woman and a woman and a man, that doesn't mean God has changed his definition. Just because the majority of people say you can just shack up and live with one another, not marry one another, and that's okay, that doesn't mean God has changed his definition. Just because people say it's natural and normal for young people to have sex with one another and that's no big deal. That doesn't mean God has changed his definition. Just because there are some brothers and sisters that are saying you no longer have to believe this and you no longer have to live like that. That does not mean they are right. Woe unto them that call evil good. Now look, I cannot, this is going to shock you, I cannot dunk a basketball goal. But if you lower the goal to make it more attainable for unathletic people like me, you're not increasing the value of the game. By lowering the standard or the goal, you're just making me feel better 
thinking I can do something that I'm really not equipped to do. There is a spirit that's trying to get in the church to just lower it, lower it, lower it. I feel a revival spirit in Oklahoma. We don't want God to lower this. We want God to help take us up higher. If that's your prayer, clap your hands and give God praise. His name was Abraham. He was called to be the father of the faithful. The genesis of a generation that would not cease. God began to give Abraham divine definition. He began to fix or mark the limits for Abraham. God was making things distinct, clear, detailed. Abraham, wherever your feet can walk, I'll give it to you. Just as the sand is on the seashore and the stars are in the sky, so will your offsprings be, Abraham. I will bless you and your wife, Sarah. God was giving precise instructions. God was blessing Abraham. God was speaking into the life of Abraham. God was talking about Abraham having more than he currently had. And anytime God speaks like that, it's easy to build an altar. And the Bible says that Abraham built an altar. So God blessed, Abraham built. It would do us good, young people, to learn that lesson. That when God blesses, we need to turn around and build an altar and give it back to God. Genesis 12, 7 says, And the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord. I have learned that it's easy to build altars when God is talking and when God is blessing and when everything that is supposed to be happening is happening. It's easy to build an altar during youth convention. It's easy to build an altar during revival. But let me ask you a serious question tonight. Can you still build an altar when God is silent? Can you still build an altar when there's a famine in the land? Listen to what happened in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. And there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down into Egypt. Notice the contrast between verse 10 and verse 7. Verse 7 says, Unto thy seed will I give this land, and there build it an altar. Verse 10 says, And there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went to Egypt. Eight words in faith in verse 7, he built an altar. Eight words and a famine in verse 10, he went to Egypt. Why is it that we can maintain a walk with God when God is promising us great things, but then we backslide anytime we go through a little season of testing at school? We've got to develop, and here's a word, young people, we've got to mature from just building altars and living for God when things are good to also learning how to keep an altar. And Because if you can keep an altar in a famine, I promise you the altar can keep you through the famine. If we need an altar when things are good, I submit to you tonight, we definitely need an altar when things are bad. We need an altar when the sun is shining. We need an altar when the rain is falling. An altar will keep you from backsliding. An altar will keep you when everybody else is walking away from the church. Leave youth convention and get an altar. As a matter of fact, let the altar alter you. 
Abraham entered into a famine. And he stopped building altars and he ended up in Egypt. Anytime you stop building altars, you'll always end back up in the world that God has pulled you out of. Anytime we quit building altars, we end back up in Egypt. The old saying is, if we pray, we stay. You cannot go to Egypt. Listen to me, young people. You cannot go to Egypt during a famine and expect Egypt to, to give you food and then for Egypt not to want something from you in return. You cannot rub shoulders with Egypt, have feelings for Egypt, and have a relationship with Egypt and think that Egypt is not going to expect something from you in return. Verse 11 says, And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarah, his wife, Behold now, I know thou art a fair woman to look upon. Because if you're going to get married, you might as well marry a pretty one. Amen? So... Abraham's like, hey, I got a good-looking wife. And so verse 12 says, so it's going to come to pass that when the Egyptians shall see thee, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, and they will keep you alive. Listen to verse 13. So he's talking to Sarah, his wife, and he said, I pray thee, say that thou art my sister. The closer he got to Egypt, the more he began to redefine who he was married to. Pay attention to what's happening right here. The closer and the more connected he got to Egypt, the more he realized, oops, Egypt is going to require something of this. And notice the language of the Bible. He told Sarah, his wife, that he was afraid Egypt would take her. And so he, what he began to do was he began to redefine who she was and what she represented. And he redefined her from being his wife to now just being his sister. Let me say it like this. He redefined his relationship. And the reason why he had to redefine his relationship is because he was afraid of how Egypt might respond to his marriage. So his attitude or his mindset was, we'll let the Egyptians know that we're related. We just don't have to tell them we're married. <laughs> we'll let Egypt know that we know each other, but we're not intimately connected with one another. We'll let Egypt know that we're family. We just won't let them know that we're husband and wife. I'll just redefine our relationship. Woe unto them. Because if you redefine your relationship with God now, it's going to mess with everything else. And it just seems like there's, there's people, there's pockets of people that, that, that they, don't, they, don't, 
they don't seem to care if folks know that they're related to Christ. And they, they, it, it's not a big deal if folks know that they go to that church every once in a while. And it, it doesn't even really embarrass them if they know their brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. But there seems to be some across the fellowship that, that come across as cowards or limp-wristed, backboneless, chameleon-type Christians who, who, are, who are afraid to stand up and boldly proclaim that this is not my sister, but this is my wife and that I am married to this because we're afraid of what the world may think about us. Now, it's easy to shout when you're shouting with 700 other young people that believe just like you. It's easy to say, I'm committed to this when everybody else is committed to this. But I'm looking for some young people that will leave youth convention and that will walk back into your high school and you're the only one with long uncut hair and you're the only one who wear and certain things and guys maybe you don't wear short that you look you need to walk in there and still boldly proclaim this is who I am this is who I'm married to I am not going to redefine my relationship to impress people that I'm not even going to know three years from now. The Bible didn't call us just to be a brother or sister. The Bible called us to be part of the bride. And I want to challenge every young person in here tonight. Go ahead and marry this. Go ahead and get committed to this. Go ahead and marry this apostolic lifestyle. Go ahead and marry this holiness. Because follow, follow this. It's like hitting a domino. If one domino falls, they're all going to fall. And so, so the closer I get to Egypt to get food, something to sustain me because I quit building altars. The closer I get to Egypt, let me just, we're going to redefine our relationship, but it never stops there. Because now that I redefine my relationship, I'm also having to now redefine my responsibilities. Because now Abraham had to quit acting like a husband and he had to start acting like a brother. So he didn't stand as close to her as he could. He couldn't hold her hand like he used to. He couldn't hug her. He had to let her walk a little more independently and he had to walk a little. He could not kiss her. He could not be connected to her because now to the world's eyes, she is reduced from a spouse to a sibling. Now, I'm from Louisiana that bought my cousin hamburgers. That gave my cousin my badge that our fingers touched each other. And when I got to the bridge, oh, no, I'm going to tell you all that tomorrow night. <laughs> Even I wouldn't want to flirt with my sister. I mean, even the folks in Arkansas wouldn't do that. <laughs> Second cousin, hey, I don't know. It all depends. We're going to have to figure We'll talk to, we'll, we'll get that. I don't know. And the enemy would love for this generation to redefine who you're married to. Because if you redefine your relationship, you're going to redefine your responsibilities. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Woe unto them that get so close to the world that all of a sudden now you're ashamed to say you're married to this. Can I just kind of quit beating around the bush for a few minutes? 
We don't need a new doctrine. We don't need a new salvation. We don't need a new revelation. We don't need less worship. We don't need less noise. We don't need less hand clapping. We don't need less standards. We don't need less hope. No. That stuff has already been defined in this book, and it needs no redefining. There is only one God, and his name is Jesus, and we're not going to redefine that. You must be born again of the water and the Spirit, and we're not going to redefine that. you got to repent of your sins, get baptized in Jesus' name, receive the Holy Ghost, and we're not going to redefine that. we got to come out from among them and be ye separate, and we're not going to redefine that. we still got to follow holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, and we're not going to redefine that. And we're going to live for God, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in hell, until death do me part. I made up my mind. I'm going to be married to this. Because Paul writing a little letter to the church of Corinth wrote these words and I know he was speaking of the physical but it mirrors the spiritual. He said let me just remind you it is better to marry than to burn. And if you don't marry this young person, the only other option is to burn in a lake of fire one day. Because God's not coming back for a girlfriend. And God's not coming back for a boyfriend. And God's not coming. He's coming back for a bride. He's coming back for somebody that's committed whose garments are washed white with the blood of the Lamb, where there's no spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. We're going to have an old, we're going to have a marriage at convention tonight. We're going to go ahead and make up our mind. I'm going to marry this. I'm not going to redefine my relationship. I'm not going to redefine my responsibility. And I refuse to redefine my righteousness. Everybody in here has got some, some, no doubt, some sort of smartphone. Whether it be an Android, a Google, or app, or iPhone. You got apps for everything. Need to figure, there's an app. Want to know where a restaurant is? There's an app. Want to figure out a problem? There's an app. Let me just say this tonight. The reason why we believe and teach and hold what we do is not because we have an app for it. It's because we have a scripture for it. The reason why we believe in repentance, I got a scripture for that. The reason why I believe in baptism, and got a scripture for that. The reason why I believe in the Holy Ghost, I got a scripture for that. The reason why I believe in speaking in tongues, I got a scripture for that. The reason why I believe there can be miracle signs and wonders in this house tonight, because I got a scripture for that. The reason why I believe you can walk out delivered by the power of Jesus is because I got a scripture for that. And in a day and age where everybody's declaring a lot of stuff, God is raising up a generation of young people in the Oklahoma district. You're going to do more than just show up and have good church. God's going to ordain you to change your world. God's going. Your best days are not behind you. Your best days are still in front of you. And no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Go ahead and marry this. Go 
ahead and get all in. Whatever your pastor wants you to do, jump in and do it. Don't worry about anything else. Don't worry about Egypt. Live for God. Paul said, if I or an angel from heaven, quit letting Facebook change your doctrine. Quit letting Instagram change your doctrine. Quit letting Snapchat change your doctrine. Quit letting TikTok change your doctrine. Paul said, if I or an angel preach any other gospel, let them be a curse. Let's make up our mind. I'm married to this. I'm a one God, Jesus name, apostolic, tongue-talking, holy roller, born again, heaven-bound, believer in the liberated power of Jesus' name. I've been washed in the blood, sanctified by the Spirit. I believe in holiness, and I suggest you do the same. That's what your school needs. They don't need somebody being rude or proud or holier than thou, but they need somebody with a backbone to walk in and say, this is who we are, this is what we believe, and come hell or high water, there's not a devil that can destroy what God is doing. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And how many of you does the devil convince? Now, I, I really I want to show hands here. How many of you the devil convinced? Nobody's going to want what you have. You walk in that school and you see people and you see the way they live and what they say. And you hear the sneers and the jeers and the little comments. And, and that's all just a spirit. You're not, we're wrestling not against flesh and blood. And the devil convinces you. Don't you dare share with them. As a matter of fact, you change who you are. I pastored a girl one time that would get on the bus looking Pentecostal only to have a change of clothes in her bag to get to school, change clothes, look like her school, go back to her bathroom, put back on the skirt. Do you know how ignorant she looked to everybody else? Ignorant. If you're doing that, hear this little old preacher. That's ignorant. Just be who you are. Just be who you are. I told you I'm too old to be preaching these things, so you can get up, you can get up in the morning and fix it. Brother Borders is gonna preach a paint off the walls tomorrow. But listen, as we get this preconceived idea that that Egypt doesn't want this, that Egypt would be afraid of our marriage. But listen what the Bible says. Verse 18, and Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this thou hast done to us? Now listen to this. Why didst thou not tell me that she is your wife? Why did you tell me that she is your sister? I might have taken her to be my wife. And behold, God would have put a curse, a plague upon me. But because I didn't know. Look at verse 18. Why didst thou not tell me that she was your wife? Let me tell you something. People you go to school with, they're tired of hypocrites. They're tired of fakes. They're tired of phonies. They live in a fake world. They have fake friends. They have shallow relationships. They're tired of all that. They want somebody that is just who they are. Just somebody that genuinely believes what they believe. They're... Pharaoh 
whatever spirits on that college campus or whatever spirit is in that high school, it's not mocking you. It's just asking you, why didn't you tell me you was married to this? Why didn't you tell me about your church? Why didn't you tell me about your youth group? Why didn't you tell me I needed to repent? Why didn't you tell me uh, that I, why didn't you ask me for a Bible study? The world is not looking for a brother-sister relationship. The world's looking for somebody that's married. That's why when Jesus comes back, when Jesus comes back, it's not called a family reunion. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Because he's coming back for a bride. He's coming back for somebody that's not ashamed of him. He said, if you're ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. Let's all stand. The danger. Abraham, if you redefine her relationship, if you redefine your responsibilities, then you're going to redefine your righteousness because that's really the end result is to take away the righteousness. There are just some things that should never be redefined. The three Hebrew children didn't redefine who they were when a fiery furnace was waiting for them. Daniel didn't redefine who he was when a den of hungry lions would be his destination. And in both cases, because they did not redefine who they were or who their relationship was with, the king had a revelation of who their God was. There will never be a revelation of who our God is if we're constantly redefining who we are. Let me say that again. There will never be a revelation of who our God is if we're constantly redefining who we are. If we redefine our relationship, it will redefine our responsibility. It will redefine our righteousness. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. You got a city to reach. There are church planners in this room right now. God's going to use. There are missionaries in this room right now. You've got a church to build. You've got ministries to start. So here's how we, before you come, just hang on. Before you come, we want to do this. I want to, I need practice. I did a wedding a week or so ago at the church, and I got, I think, seven more weddings to do next year. Better to marry than to burn. So I need practice on weddings. So here's how we're going to do an altar call tonight. Is I'm going to read some vows to you. And if you accept those vows, the Bible says it's better to, to not make a vow than to make one and break it. But when I read these vows, if you want to say, I do. Lip service is cheap. We need action tonight. So it's going, to be in a, it's going to be in the form of a step and a walk and a commitment. That God, I'm going to leave. I'm going to end this year 
consecrating my heart. I'm starting 2023. No more fickled relationship. No more like Peter following afar, denying that I'm part of the crowd. No, I'm going to be a bold witness for the Lord. But I want you to hear this. Vows are not easy. Now, every wedding that I've ever done, after I've read the vows, I pronounce them husband and wife. I do one thing that the groom and the bride looks forward to more than anything else in the whole wedding. I say, you may now kiss your bride. And tonight, when we make a fresh commitment to God, the Holy Ghost is going to come down and kiss this place. One of the words for worship is just kiss. That, that when we begin to worship, God's going to inhabit. He's going to just come down and dwell. And His glory is going to fall in this house because He is sanctioning the vows that are being committed to right now. So do, do the young people of the Oklahoma District, the United Pentecostal Church of the Oklahoma District, do you take this church, do you take God's church, do you take the kingdom of God to be your only God? Do you promise to serve this kingdom first and foremost? Do you promise to serve this kingdom for better or for worse? If I get asked to go preach youth convention, I'll serve it. If nobody knows my name and I'm just flipping a home Bible study chart that nobody knows any, um, nobody even knows my name, I'll still serve. If God blesses my church with great revival this year or if my youth group loses people, I'll still serve. For better, for worse. For richer or for poorer. Whether God heals me or not, in sickness and in health. And we're all ready to say, I do, but young people, this is where it gets kind of tight right here. Forsaking all others, forsaking everything else. You may have to quit that ball team because it interferes with church. You may have to quit hanging out with some people because of the direction they're pulling you. Are you willing to forsake all others? Now, if you're not, I respect you. I respect you more if you say, Preacher, I'm not ready for that commitment yet. I'll respect you more if you stay in your pew. But we're not doing this for youth convention and then it's over we're not doing this just for a few weeks and then it's over no here's the vow until death do you part slip your hands up all over this place right now do you young people young adults of the Oklahoma district do you take the kingdom this church do you promise to serve for better for worse for richer for poor in sickness and in health forsaking everything else until death do you part if you're ready to say, I do, I want you to get out of your pew. I want you to get out of your chair. I want you to get down to this front. Get as close as you can.